series called 40 days of prayer and that's exactly what it is we want to spend 40 days with our heavenly father through what jesus christ has done on the cross and this morning what i want to talk about is who it is we're actually talking to when we pray because depending on the relationship you have with somebody your speech is going to change the way you speak is going to change and so like when I get pulled, if I were ever to get pulled over and the officer came, first of all, for those of you who are more seasoned like myself, don't all police officers look like they're 12 now? That is like terrible. Like a police officer will come up and I'm like, shouldn't you be at home? Because yeah, you get older and you just, everyone looks young. Anyway, that was just a side note uh, for free. But if you get pulled over, you speak to the officer a lot different than you would one of your buddies, hopefully, if you'd like to avoid a ticket. Um, I speak to, you'd speak to one of your teachers. If you're a kid, you would speak to a student. You'd speak to one of your teachers different than you would your parents. You'd speak to your parents different than you would a coach if you're in sports. You know, all, all these different things. How, the relationship you have with the person almost always determines how you're going to speak. Also, and even more importantly, the nature of the person you're talking to dictates how you speak to them. If you have a nice, you, you might have a boss. If she's a nice boss, you talk to her one way. If she's a mean boss, you talk to her another way, right? If you have somebody, a coworker, and they're just really on edge all the time, you approach them differently than you would the one who's super laid back. Well, what I want to do this morning is talk about the nature of the God you're, preaching, uh, you're uh, praying to. Because that determines a lot of how you're going to approach your Heavenly Father. And so there's a bunch of different ways that you can kind of view God. Um, some of the more important ones are grumpy God, right? There's grumpy God. So you go to God and you're like, I don't know if I should even bring this up with grumpy God. He's grumpy and I heard the thunder last night and I'm pretty sure that was him and I'm pretty sure he's angry. Uh, the second one is crouching tiger God. This is the God who's this waiting for you to mess up. Just waiting for you to just say the wrong word, have the wrong thought, or whatever. This crouching tiger God. And then there's flaky father. Flaky father is, he's there sometimes, sometimes he's not. He kind of feels absent. He's up and down. He's kind of moody. That's, that's flaky father. You might think of God that way. There's cosmic cop. He's just like, let me see your driver's license and registration when you go to pray to him. Because you know there's going to be, it's, everything's right or wrong. Everything's black and white. Everything. You know, that's just, that's cosmic cop. Uh, then there's, um, oh, I might have lost connection. Can you go to the next one for me? Thanks. There's dictator. Dictator, you never know what's going to happen. They, all of a sudden, World War III could start in your life, and you don't even know how that even happened. Everything falls apart. Everything gets better. It's like almost like a manic, depressive God. Go ahead to the next one. Yeah, Santa Claus. Santa Claus is, uh, if you're naughty, bad things happen to you. And if you're nice, good things happen to you. And so it's all dependent. God's nature, God's response to you is all dependent on how you respond, how you act, how you uh, respond to things. Okay, go to the last one. And then there's the one that I think our culture 
really is, is that's Plato, God. You just kind of fashioned him into anything that you really would like him to be. You, if you want him to be really grace-filled, then he's got like a nice belly and he's all like, he looks more like Buddha than anything else. And if you want him to be, you know, Santa Claus, you fashion him to be Santa Claus. Well, the reality is, is that the Bible describes our God. And the Bible uses all sorts of different uh, characters of him and natures of him. And I'll go through a a number of them very quickly. There are not slides for them, but um, of what God is. He's all-knowing. He knows everything. He's all-powerful. He can do anything, right? He's what we call omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's here. He's at your house. He's he's everywhere, right? He's... um, He... uh, uh, is loving, right? Um, he has a plan. Like we have all these things. But the thing I want to talk about this morning, which I, I hope can transform the way you pray, is the fact that he's a good, good father. We just sang about that. He's a good, good father. Now, I know for some of us, because I know most of our stories, we're going through seasons in our life right now where that's hard to match up with what our life looks like. How could a good, good father allow pain and suffering? Now, here's what we're going to do. I'm not cheating. We are going to cover that in a few weeks. What happens when God says no? What happens when God doesn't perform the way we'd like him to? But this morning, what I want to focus on is the fact that he's a good good father. We just lost somebody in our congregation a couple days ago, um, 62 years old, lost him to cancer, a very sweet man. You're thinking, like, how, how, how is that good? Well, like I said, we'll, we'll talk about that. But the first thing I want to talk about, if God is good, go ahead to that next slide. Because God is good, God's plans for my life will always be good. God's plan for my life will always be good. And you say, well, yeah, but man, I've been through some stuff. Like that, that was good? The stuff that I've been through, that, that was good? Now, the reality is, is that we live in a broken world. We aren't experiencing true shalom, the true universal flourishing of everybody and everything. That happens in eternity. Right now, we're in a broken world with broken people. Your pastor's broken, you're broken. Everybody's broken. And so we walk through this life as broken vessels, the Bible calls us. Broken vessels. Some are sown for dishonor, some are sown for honor. But we are broken vessels. And the reason that we're broken is because when God created us, he didn't create us just like robots. And he says, okay, on day one, you're going to do this, and you're going to say that, and you're going to walk over here, and on day two, you're going to do that. He says, I'm going to give you free will. I'm going to give you the choice to act the way you want. And what we have right now in our world is the result of human choices. Now, there's spiritual forces and all those things, but that's just the reality. But God's plans for you, God's plans for your life will always, always, always be good. Let me show you some scriptures that talk about that. Go ahead, the next one. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all thing, in, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Even bad things, yes, even bad things. God works for the good of those who love him. Now listen, 
I understand my life has not been Skittles and unicorns, okay? So I know what it's like to be in a dark, dark season. When our son, when his seizures were at their height, I just could not see how this was going to work for anybody's good. First of all, my son's good. I, I didn't know that. And so I had to keep coming back to this verse, like, okay, God, I know you're a good, good father, and what I'm going through now doesn't feel good, good to me, and so I just have to trust that, uh, and, and know that in all things, you're going to work for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Go ahead to the next verse. In Genesis, we have this story of Joseph. Joseph got sold into slavery by his brothers. Now, to, to, to the brothers' defense, for any of you who have had siblings, Joseph was kind of a pain, okay? He'd wake up at the breakfast, he'd go to the breakfast table and be like, man, I had this dream last night. You guys were in it. It was awesome. You were all serving me. And uh, I, was, I was in charge, and you were like my servants. Isn't that cool? Oh, and also I have this really cool jacket that dad got me. Did he get you one? Oh, no. Oh, maybe it's coming. I don't know. But my jacket's awesome. So they took him, and they threw him in a pit to die, and some people came and made him slaves. And then God begins to bless him, and he gets this really cool job, like super good upward mobility, gets all the way up to like CEO of this guy named Potiphar's whole estate, and Potiphar's wife starts putting on some berry white and some candles. And, and she's like, I'd like you to hold my hand because there's children in the thing. So, uh, and so uh, I won't go, this is a G-rated version. And so, uh, and so he's like, I can't hold your hand because uh, that wouldn't be right. And what he says is, the very last reason why he says he can't hold her hand is because, uh, because God knows He's honoring God. You know where that got him? Prison. He ends up in prison. But at the end, he says this to his brothers. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And so in the midst of when, when he's in prison, do you think he's thinking of, this is awesome. I can't wait to see what God does. I might be able to save all of Israel when there's a famine. No. To accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives, so then do not be afraid. Go ahead to the next one. Romans 5.3, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Wow. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. God is very interested in you being able to persevere. Do you know that almost every area in your life where you suffer it brings about perseverance. If you go to the gym and you go there regularly, it, it's not fun. I, mean, I don't know about your gym. Mine is not. Mine is run by, like, war criminals. I, I don't know what they're doing. But, 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 but over time, it produces perseverance. And watch what perseverance produces. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, through that suffering, through that perseverance, through that proven character, through that hope. Just one last verse. Go ahead, next one. James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials. Yes! Awesome, another seizure. Oh! Man, can't get enough of them, right? It's difficult. It's difficult to do that. 
But what God's asking us to do is to go, can you rely, regardless of your, on your circumstances, on the fact that I am a good, good father. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm allowing. I know what I'm allowing you to go through. Because let's just be honest, not all of our issues is just because of our, the circumstances around us. Some of us have brought it on ourselves, right? I've gone through some seasons in my life that I just brought on myself through my inability to control myself, through what have you. Consider it pure joy uh, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance again. Let perseverance finish its work. God's not going to take the difficulties you're going through and just waste them. He's going to use them. He's going to take the brokenness that surrounds you and he's going to say, we're going to use that because I'm a good father. We're going to repair. We're going to restore we're going to make this right. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Go ahead to the next one. Secondly, because God is good, God always gives me what I need, <laughs> not what I want or deserve. He always gives me what I need. I hate this point. I want that point. He gives me what I want. Oh, also not what I deserve, okay? And then what I need. I want what I want, right? You ever done that where you're just like, God, I'm just gonna tell you what I want. As wacky as it sounds, I'm just gonna tell you right now, this is what I want. And then he said, it, and you're like, he's not gonna give me that. There's just no way. He always gives me what I need, not what I deserve. Now, we're gonna spend the majority of our time this morning on this particular point. Go ahead to the next verse and watch what David says. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Isn't that good news? <laughs> because your sin, my sin, cannot really be paid back. We talk about this all the time as we talk about forgiveness. That our brokenness creates a void that we can't fix ourselves, not only with God, but with each other. When my brokenness comes in contact with your woundedness, there comes a void that I can't repay. You ever had that happen? Where you're talking to somebody and you say one, you've been friends for years and years and years, and you say one little thing wrong, and they're gone. Your brokenness had come in contact to their woundedness, and there's no way you can get that back unless they choose to forgive you. And so that, that's the reality of it. But watch what God does. Go ahead to the next one. For, he, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And watch what this uh, love results in. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. God gives us what we need, not what we want or deserve. He gives us what he needs, not what we deserve. We're going to be taking communion later on this morning and that's just the representation of what he does. He provides a way to give us what we need, not what we deserve. So what we're going to do now is we're going to look at a story because I can describe God all day long and I can look at verses and we can look at a thousand of them. But there's actually a time when Jesus describes your heavenly father. Now, this is really good news because Jesus knows him better than any of us. As a matter of fact, Jesus is God in the form of man who basically comes down to say this. If you're human, this is how you should 
live your life like Jesus does. Looking out for the disenfranchised. Not, not letting things affect you to where you're, you're getting overly anxious or upset. You know, you're, just, you're going around, you're, you, you go to those who the, the culture does not love and you love them. You have compassion on people. And this is just the way you're supposed to live. That's why they, we, they call them Christians, little Christ. That we're, we're supposed to be Christ everywhere we go. And so what Jesus used to do is every morning, or not necessarily every morning, but we just know that many, many mornings and many, many evenings, he would go off to talk to his heavenly father to make that connection again and so what happens is um, the tax collectors and uh, the I mean the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are coming after Jesus because he's hanging around with tax collectors and sinners those are unclean people you are not supposed to hang out with tax collectors and sinners so go ahead to this next verse we'll start we'll kick it off in Luke 15 now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around Jesus <laughs> and Jesus wasn't going ew he was he was like sweet this is this is exactly why I'm here I'm supposed to bring the kingdom of God he says the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So go ahead, watch what happens. So the Pharisees and the, and the teachers of the law uh, muttered, <laughs> this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. See, when you worship a good, good father, sometimes the way your life is going or the way you live out your spirituality, there's going to be people and I'm sorry to say, oftentimes Christians who have input into how you're living your life. And they may mutter or what have you. Don't let that distract you from your good, good father. Don't let that discourage you. If he's asking you to do something, if he's asking you to be around people that some might call unclean or some might call different or some might call uh, hard to receive, then that's fine. So go on, what happens? He, he tells a story. Yeah, so he tells two stories before this one. He says, one, there's this guy who has 100 sheep and one gets away. And he says, Don't, doesn't he leave the 99 that are safe and fine and protected and everything's good to go get the one? And when he gets them, doesn't he come back and says to his buddies, like, hey, let's have this big party. Now, I tend to read too much in the Bible, but I'm like, if they're having a party, one of those other sheep is going to die, right? It's not sheep, it's sheep, but one of them is probably going to get eaten. Anyway, so he gets, the, he gets the, the, the hundredth one, and there they are, and he rejoices. There's the same thing. There's this woman who has ten coins. She loses one. She leaves the nine. She goes, and when she finds that coin, they rejoice. And then he gets into this one, and this one hits so hard to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in this particular time frame. And I'll try to get us into that time frame that it's just an awesome story that describes our Heavenly Father. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. Now, if you had two sons, you were blessed because in that particular culture, sons were great. Daughters were okay, but sons were great. You had someone to pass on your legacy to, your name to. They, they were, you know, sons were very, if you didn't have a son, then everyone would go, what's, what's the problem? Why is God punishing you? It's just the way it was. Trust me, I have two daughters and one son. If I had to pick, okay. Anyway, <laughs> there was a man who had two sons. 
Okay, I can barely handle one, he had two. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now at that point, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are like, are you kidding me? Basically what he's saying is, hey dad, I can't wait for you to die. I really can't, because I want some stuff. I want some of your stuff. And I just can't wait for you to die. I want to get my grubby little hands on it now. And you think this is just that time? I know someone, I, I, I honestly know them that verbalized, they said it out loud, that they're not having any, they're not saving or doing anything like that because they know that when their parents die, they'll get everything. I'm like, do you know that you said that out loud? They're like, yeah, I I know. I'm like, okay, great. Come to find out that when the parents did die, they didn't leave anything. It's terrible. I know, it's terrible. But now you get the feeling of what it felt like with these Pharisees and Sadducees. How dare you? I hope it doesn't go well for you. This is so shaming. It's so shaming to the father, to the family, to the culture. This is an honor-shame culture. So go, go ahead. So he, so he divided his property between them. The father did it. The Pharisees right now would go, I would never do that. I would, nev- I would tell that son, you are disowned, you're out of the will. The father does it. Go ahead. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and he set off for a distant country and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law say, yep, that's what you get. God is punishing you because they have grumpy God syndrome. That God is, he's, he's, if you do good, he's going to bless you. If you do bad, He's grumpy, and he's, gonna, he's going to punish you. Go ahead, the next one. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. And the Pharisees are going, yeah, that's right. This is what happens. You got to stick to the law. You got to stick. Us Pharisees, we would never do that. First of all, we'd never be like that father and bring shame upon the family and give half, divide, divide our stuff up while, the, while we're still alive. We'd never do that. And then it's good that he goes off and he squanders it and there's a famine. Go ahead and watch what happens. It gets even worse. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen in that country. That is so shameful for their, for their culture to work for a Gentile. Man, it gets worse. Who sent him to his fields to feed pigs, an unclean animal. So he's in an unclean country working for an unclean person. Jesus is around unclean people, sinners, tax collectors. This son is feeding unclean animals. And then he longs to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. Doubly, doubly, doubly unclean. No touchy. No touchy the pods that the pigs eat. You're not supposed to do that. But no one gave him anything. And this is where he is. And at this point in the story, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law The way they view your heavenly father and my heavenly father, this brings validation. God is punishing. And he's getting what he deserves. But what we find out is that God doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us what we need. Watch what happens. When he came to his senses. Here he is in all this uncleanliness, with pigs, with pods, 
with this boss who's a Gentile. Everything's unclean. Everything, the whole country, everything is unclean. And all of a sudden he gets this thing. Man, my dad. My dad. Some of you this morning, it's time to come to your senses. You've been running. You think that God's upset with you because of your past, what you did in your 20s, 30s, 40s. That divorce, that failure, that huge mistake. It's time for you to see your Heavenly Father for who He is. It's time for you to come to your senses. And watch the process of his brain as he's sitting there in the muck and in the mire with the pigs and the pods and the slop. And he looks around. He's like, man, what am I doing? Watch what he says. He comes to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired hands have food to spare and I'm here starving to death? Like, my dad took care of his servants. They have food to spare. Like, like he's got these workers, and when they eat, the father isn't concerned about, now you only get this much portion, you only get, he says, go eat. And they have scraps, and they're scraping them into the thing to feed whatever, the goats, or what, they wouldn't feed pigs, they'd feed whatever. They have extra food. He starts thinking about the nature of his father, and that is what begins to draw him back. And I would say the same for us. It is the nature of our Heavenly Father, our good, good Father, that draws us back to Him. Are we broken? Yes. Have we made mistakes? Yes. Do we deserve punishment? Yes. But He doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us what we need. So He begins to rehearse. Watch this. Here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back. You know, getting back to your Heavenly Father is this process I don't know if any of you have gone through it. I have, where I've wandered off, and I begin these steps to go back. And one of the things that my prayer is for our 40 days of prayer is that that process of being with him every morning is this process of coming back. We had someone in our small group uh, that just said, I, for the first 20 days, I just want to get back to where I was, and then the next 20 days, I want to just go for that, that's a, I will set out and go back. I love that. I love that. Go to the next one. So he says, I'll set out and go back to my father. And here's what I'm going to say. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. That's a very good start. Go to the next one. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So this is what typically happens when we go back to our Heavenly Father. We have a bunch of conditions. I'll never do that again. I'll become a missionary. I'll, if, if I'll work in children's ministry, like whatever, whatever it is. Uh, and uh, well, depending on what you did, because we run background checks. But uh, it, 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 it's, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. This is the posture that this son comes back to his good good father with. I'll make me one of your servants. I'll just, I'll just go to church. I'll mind my own business and I'll just m m move on. Go ahead. So he got up and went to his father. He got up and he went to his father. Part of the 40 days of 
prayer is just to get up, <laughs> to set your alarm, to get everything ready. I don't know if I mentioned this last week or the week before, but sometimes what I'll do if I'm struggling with having my quiet time in the morning, I'll start my quiet time the night before. And so it gets my brain. It's kind of like along with the, the idea of setting your gym clothes out the night before, before you go to the gym and like you get up and you look at them and there they are and you're like, ah, they're right there. I might as well put them on. Then you put them on and you're like, well, I got them on. Might as well get in the car. I'm only going to walk in and walk right back out again. I'm not going to stay there. And I, oh, I walked in. I might as well like do something. Well, now that I've done something, I might as well, right? Okay, that's the whole thing. So the same thing happens with your quiet time. And so sometimes if I feel like, man, I, I don't know, I want to sleep in. I'll go out and I'll build a little fire and I'll get it ready and I'll tell Jesus, and I don't think I'm going crazy. Um, I'll go, hey, I'll see you in the morning. I got the fire already and I'll see you in the morning. And then when I get in the bed, I'll, I'll say, good night, Jesus. I'll see you in the morning. And that just kind of sets my whole thing. I get up and I go to my father. Thank you, that's perfect. So he got up and he went to his father, but while he was a still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. This is a good, good father. How did he see him a long way off? He was looking for him. He was waiting for him. I have three kids. If you filled this whole room with a thousand people, I could spot my kids in two seconds. They could all be walking around. I'm like, oh, there's Audrey, there's Emily, there's Jesse. Oh, wait, no, there's Jesse. There he goes. He just ran all the way up, <laughs> up into the balcony. Right? Because I know my kids. That father's just scanning the horizon. When's he coming back? I just want to spend just one second talking to those of you who have prodigals. Because it's diff difficult to have a prodigal, is it not? You know, I remember when I, growing up, I told my kids ever since they were they could understand what it means to leave the house. That when they do, they ain't coming back. Okay? I just want you to know, we're training you to be adults. When you get, go to college, we'll try to make that happen. If it happens, when you're gone, you're gone, right? Until you have older kids. <laughs> I was talked so big, it was so tough. Hey, you ain't coming back. You've got to be an adult. I had to be an adult. You're going to be an adult. One of those kids knocks on my door. Hey, Dad. We just need to get back on our feet. I'm <laughs> just like, yeah, why don't you take our bedroom, you know? <laughs> right? Right? Something about when you have prodigal. Some of you have lost. You're just grieving because your kids are, aren't walking the way you want them to walk. And you're scanning the horizon. It's because you're a good, good parent. That's what good parents do, and that's what he's doing. He feels compassion, and he ran to his son. You have to understand, in this particular culture, men running is shameful. Now, if you're an athlete, you would do it, whatever, but you would not be typically walking around in your robe, gather up your robe, and start running. But he does, and he throws his arm around him, and he kissed him. Go ahead, the next one. The son said to him, Father, I've said, he says the exact thing he'd been rehearsing probably the whole way home. It's the exact, it's word for word. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Go ahead to the next one. He didn't get to finish. Right? He didn't get to say, make me one of your servants. He said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the, and, and the father cuts him off. 
This isn't about you setting the terms. I set the terms. I'm the good, good father. I don't even want to hear your sorry old, I'll become one of your servants. Oh my God. Forget that. You're my son. I'm your father. He says, quick, he said to his servants, uh, bring the best robe and put it on and put a ring on. Now, you got to understand the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are like, are you out of your mind? God was punishing him and now you're just going to let him off the hook. Put sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found, so they began to celebrate. This is the heart of your good, good father. This is the relationship he longs to have with you. Not to give you what you deserve, but what you need. And what you need and what I need is a relationship, a deep healthy relationship with my heavenly father it's found through what jesus christ did on the cross go ahead to the next one meanwhile the older son was in the field and when he had come to hear the house he heard music and dancing so he's out there working he's been doing everything right since he was a little kid he was first born you know how they are and uh he gets to the house and it's like and he's like what is that i got like what my dad starts listening to dubstep. Like, that's crazy. So, so he called one of the servants and goes, what's, what's going on? And your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. And so don't go to the next slide, but what the brother does is he goes, that makes a lot of sense. That sounds like my dad. He's a good, good father. I'm so happy for my brother. You know, God played the fool. He lost the inheritance. He ain't getting his inheritance back, by the way. He lost all that. You know what? It's a happy day for our family. Go ahead to the next slide. Oops, my bad. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Mm. Okay, next one. Here's what he says. So his father went out and pleaded with him. This is a good, good father, right? Because the father could just go, I don't care. Let him sit out there. I'm having some more fatted calf, please. Yeah, medium rare. Thank you. Mm, right? He goes out and he pleads with him. Watch what he says. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Come on. And never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Now, for those of you who have kids and you've raised them ever since they were little, I always like to insert one of my little tiny kids' voices in here. Look. All these years I've been slaving for you, and you never disobeyed your orders, and you never gave me a young goat. Okay, go ahead to the next one. Sometimes I read a little too much in the Bible. When this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, what? Where'd that come from? Nobody ever said anything about that. Sometimes brothers are meaner than fathers. He comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. Go ahead. My son, the father said, you're always with me. Christians who've been Christians for a long time, let me just talk to you for a little bit. You should relish and rejoice and be satisfied with the fact that you have been with your heavenly father all that time. Not worried about what your brother or sister is doing. This is enough for me. You're always with me. 
and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. Go to the next one. So finally, as we are about to take communion, we won't spend too much time on this one. So the worship band comes forward. God puts my good above his own. Now that sounds almost heretical, right? That God puts my good above his. But in fact, God's good, good plan for me actually glorifies him. Go to the next verse. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. For our good, God sacrifices his only son so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. 